Blog Talk Radio. There's something outside. What is that? I mean, the Thomas, Thomas Steenberg from Canada. How are you, Thomas? Not getting any younger, Julie, I'm afraid. I'd like to. <laughs> and one of the old-timers. When I refer to you as the old-timer, it's not an age thing. It's because you've been around this block so many times and kicked the, the tires and everything. So, you know, just to make let people know, I'm not saying Thomas is old by any stretch. No, just hitting at it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that you're you're back with me here, Thomas. We have some very special guests in the studio with us. I'm very stoked about this. Uh, someone that Thomas has been watching very closely. I know for the last eight years, while they've been doing um, working on what they call the Bluff Creek Project and different things they've been working on in the area where the infamous Patterson-Gimlin film was recorded back in October of 1967. Now, these guys have been working their tailbones off down there, um, and I'm going to let them tell you, you know, what's been going on. A lot of exciting stuff very currently has happened. So I want to uh, introduce you to Rowdy Kelly and Robert Lederman from the Bluff Creek Project. How are you gentlemen doing, Rowdy? How are you? Doing great. Uh, it's great to be on this show, and, uh, and and thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, it's definitely my pleasure. Robert, how are you doing tonight? I'm uh, doing great. I just got back from the college testing. I mean, I test students. So I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Well, great. Um, I wanted to jump in here, though, because I know right before the uh, intro played, Robert and Thomas were talking about, um, they believe they might have met, was it back in 1999? Can you guys go ahead and finish that conversation? Because I was, I was just getting into that. You think you met down there at the Bluff Creek Project area? Well, it wouldn't have been a Bluff Creek Project area. It would have been a humble Redwood State Park. Uh, back in 1999, I think it was in August 23rd, there was a sighting of a gentleman walking on a river trail. He's with his son, his son's shoe was untied. Son stopped to tie the shoe. Dad was waiting. Dad saw uh, a, naked, a naked individual from the waist up, Harry pacing back and forth and rubbed his back against what he thought was his thumb. And then he heard his son and left. And I think through the BFRL, there was an investigation up there. And uh, I, think, I think he was with the group there. I'm trying to remember, trying to put it all together. It's been a while. By the way, that sighting itself was got me involved with the BFRO back in 1999, doing a follow-up in, in September. Does that sound familiar? I don't think that was me, because I've never been a member of the BFRO. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's all that. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me tell my story anyway. However, <laughs> however, I yeah. was down there with their members on other things at times, and I think I was down there in 1999. I can't really recall that. uh, I remember someone telling me about a guy who was tying a shoe and saw something, and I I just don't remember the details on it. 
Oh, uh, no problem. Was that you? Interesting. <laughs> that could very well be. Yeah, but um, my I was wondering, boys, is um, did you guys? Uh, what made you get involved with the, all this in the in the Bluff Creek film site? Did you meet Stephen of Bigfoot Books, and he got you involved, or were you involved before him, or or how did all this come about? Well, let Robert finish his story. I guess that sounds like yeah. how he got started was in '99. So, <laughs> well, actually, this was uh, a little after '99. It was. Um, uh, Tom Yamara was setting up, I guess, the 40th event for the uh, Patterson film, the 40th anniversary in Willow Creek. Uh, it's, uh, I forget the year without a calendar in front of me. Yeah. But oh, 2003. I was there then, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it was the, oh, this was after that. Actually, I was there in 2003. I was the lunchtime entertainment. Uh, where I had their salmon dinners, I was doing a uh, tongue-in-cheek presentation on Soft Squatch. Uh-huh. But I think this was after I want to say 2007, but my memory's not that great. But uh, it, it was it was back it was back then. I think it was when I first met Stephen because uh, Stephen was going to write an article about uh, from the North Coast Journal, and he's going to write an article about the Sasquatch phenomena since the anniversary was going up. So he didn't know anybody, so he was meandering around, and I ran into him, and he started asking me a bunch of questions about. Who's that guy? Who's Bobo? Who's this? Who's Matt? So I was providing information at that time. And then he joined us at Bluff Creek. And that's when we got to know him a little bit better. But the subject of the film site came up um, after, after that get-together. So uh, I guess that's when I first met Stephen. I didn't think we'd ever be working on a project like we were, but that was back in 2007. I guess we started heavy in the project about 2010-ish. I remember rightly. Yeah, you guys are a year before I got there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I actually got, I, I already knew Robert from doing location managing, which I do here in Humboldt and, and all over California. Uh, Robert is a ranger at Humboldt State Redwood Park, and I had ran into him a couple of times, and I was acquainted with the fact that he was the Bigfoot ranger. And I got a hold of him when I got the call to work on a uh, the the uh, Willow Creek episode of Finding Bigfoot. So the uh, BFR was BFRO was having an expedition of the week before they were to come out. So I went on that expedition with Robert out to Laos Camp and just went through the whole ordeal of uh, hiking and, and everything down to the site but there wasn't really a consensus on where the site was. We just went down to the end of the road where the bat boxes were and went up and down the creek a few times. And Robert was leading a group of about 12 people or yeah, about 12. 12 people up the creek from Laos Camp or from the bridge uh, on their expedition. And um, anyway, that's a whole other story in its own. Oh, yeah. But that, that weekend I met Stephen and he and Robert presented some evidence to me, just showing me the picture of um, Patty at the site, some frame-by-frame um, stills of it. And they started questioning me about, you know, where the site was and how to find out where the, how to find the site. And, and you know, and at the time, I didn't really see the importance of it. But uh, anyway, later, uh, during the show, when we took Bob Gimlin down there, uh, what I ended up doing, I was the advanced man. I ended up uh, creating a better trail down to the site because originally we wanted to have that horse episode, them take horses all the way down to the site. But the um, Six Rivers would not allow the horses down in the creek. So the horses were just used for the top part, and the rest of it uh, we ended up just hiking down. But I, I went ahead and helped uh, clean up the trail and make sure it was good all the way down to the creek bottom. It wasn't until we got down to the creek bottom with the crew that Cliff and uh, Bobo started walking upstream and realized we were not at the film site. They were taking us up to the film site, and it turned out to be further up, and we were there with Bob Gimlin, and they did that, that show, Finding Bigfoot. And as I was looking at it, I was like, there's no way this is the spot. There's absolutely no way. Uh, I could not see it just because uh, later we find out it's just, 40-plus uh, years of uh, forest growth has totally obscured the, the view that you would have if you were in um, 
Roger Patterson's position, initial sighting position. So um, after that show, I, I started getting involved with Stephen and Roberts, and I think it was that summer's when we pretty much solidified yeah. the spot. 2011. Yeah, 2011, and, and uh, we, we started doing our grid, grid lines. And as soon as we got across to our first north-south um, bearing, we went all the way from initial siding to the edge of what we call the, the, um, the river or the, the creek bottom, yeah. um, which is where the big tree is and um, the array of trees that's in the background of frame 352. But as soon as we got through all that brush, because you couldn't see probably – 20, 30 yards, not even that, 20, 20, 30 feet in front of you at that time just because of all the small trees and lower branch growth on all the new trees that were growing in the site. So when we got to the other side, it was the first time I had witnessed actually the big tree and um, what I call the crook uh, maple that has a little crook in it. And then the array of trees, and it was pretty interesting that the sight line was directly north and south. Anyway, that's my initial um, introduction to those guys, and we helped, you know, do the grid plot, which was an endearing uh, effort all day long. And Robert just kept us going, just said we got we got to finish this, and uh, it took us a couple of days, but we got it. it. Yes, yeah. we got it. And uh, from there, Robert did all the math, or excuse me, all the maps. And later on, Jamie stepped in, and uh, we continued to go down there. Um, I was trying to figure out the other day how many times I've been down there the past eight years. I know it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a, the film side. It's probably going on 30-plus, maybe 40, 40 times, something like that. Um, and it's fun, and uh, it's exciting to go out there. Uh, it's just an adventure to get out there because it's so far out, which you know, Tom, uh, Thomas, it's pretty far out. Mm-hmm. So, uh Last year, um, on the 50th anniversary, uh, there was uh, Kit Morrell, Daniel Perez, and I were there the night before on the 19th. We ended up uh, camping up on the top road from the 12 and, tw- 12 and 13, 12 and 13H crossroads, which is on top of the ridge. And uh, we were going to be there so we could be there the next morning. Uh, it turned out to be a miserable night. Uh, we missed a, you know, a dinner in town and a few other things, but, uh, it was 36, 37 degrees and it rained all night long. And, uh, it, 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 Daniel and Kip and I had all our trucks back together underneath a, um, a 10 by 10 pop-up and the whole night we prayed to the propane God that we had in front of us that was throwing out heat and, uh, talked about a lot of things. Anyway, the next day, Daniel, it cleared up. Daniel had the uh, K100 with him, and uh, I was like, wow, okay. So we had Munn's position, which was down the bank, and you really couldn't get a uh, – unless you had a pretty good ladder, you really could not see what that position would look like through a lens. So you have to climb the bank going towards the subject uh, in frame 352, and you have to get – I think it was like – 15 feet closer or something like that, 12 feet closer to get on the bank, which changed your perspective. And I, I think I took a picture through his viewfinder, which we posted uh, last year. And I questioned, he had uh, the corresponding viewfinder with the lens for the 15 and the 25 millimeter. And I took a picture through both of them and they have a safety area in your viewfinder. And then they have the frame of what it's supposed to look like. And from what I was seeing and, and comparing, uh, you know, I was leaning towards the 15, the 25 just seemed too close from that position, uh, if that was the right position. And this all comes down to, you know, if these are the right positions, we need to initially put those up. But uh, anyway, so I was like, next year, Daniel, when you bring this, I've got some film. Uh, from college that will fit in this, in this camera. And it was just plus X reversal, which was just stuff you used in college. It was cheap, black and white, uh, pretty pretty mid on its uh, latitude. It's, it, it can handle daylight or, or dark. It wasn't great in either one. Anyway, that's what prompted us this year to uh, just figure out maybe what frame line was that was by running the film through the camera and then just trying to compare it. Now, granted, um, 12 years ago, uh, when Daniel had that camera there, there was absolutely no way 
you could do any of this just because uh, of the thickness of all the forest that was down there and the branches and everything. But here we are uh, from 2012 to, to uh, 17. So we're five years later, and every year when we go out there, we spend some time clearing lower branches, just trying to improve that view. We're also improving the walkability of the site and just the general appearance of it. We're really not disturbing too much natural growth that's going on, but we're just putting down those lower branches, which in turn will probably make it a, a little more fire safe in the future, yeah, just not having those, those lower branches. Anyway, um, we're getting a better view. Uh, and so it was like, oh, maybe we should, we should try this again. And um, uh, anyway, Daniel brought it out this year, and I think this was October 13th, and I had the film. And initially, we were just going to get a ladder, and lo and behold, I forgot the ladder. But that's, that's okay. I remember the film, but I forgot the ladder. Yeah. But, uh, so, but we had something to do before then because we'd been questioning um, where Munns had put Roger Patterson's position. Now, we were there in 2012 when Munns, we took Munns down there, and he did the measurements. We were doing site clearing because that's what that was our priority at the time was just clearing things up so we could walk through and see see things better because uh, it was a really daunting effort. Anyway, they they did their measurements. It was 132 feet right from the smiley face. I think that's correct. Um, and they tried to draw a nice straight line, um, which was virtually impossible at that time with the amount of trees that were in the way. Uh, we really hadn't cleared that side, that that side line all the way back that well. So they had to go around trees, and they had to, you know, manipulate manipulate through through lower brush and and lower branches and stuff. And they ended up getting a point, and we marked it, and we've kept that mark since 2012. Uh, but the more I've been looking at um, uh, frame 352, I just keep thinking it's further back, and I just wasn't satisfied with it. So we we cleared it up enough that that was the first thing we did. And, Robert, go ahead and start off on that. You and Mike uh, Wyman were going to do measurements anyway. Yeah, it's like every time you start opening the can of worms, you find there's more worms hiding underneath than the little cubbies. So originally, uh, originally when we when we took our first measurements, is uh, even even months what months did is he took what's called the smiley stump. Uh, we call it that because it has looks like a smile from a distance, so it's a lot of focus third generation. Anyhow, so uh, right behind it is the pole line. That's a straight line. So that's the, that's what frame three fifty two is. So we know that's a straight line. And some of the original stuff done by, I believe it was the Hinden and I want to say Green, but I probably probably forget. Anyhow, uh, those two individuals measured landmarks like stumps and uh, those uh, snags that are no longer here. Mm-hmm. So they lined those guys up, and they did measurements. They drew it in. Uh, they come up with some kind of a, a functional map to use with some measurements. And based on basic trigonometry, Straight yeah, it's straight line. So, uh, like, if you're going to draw an item into a location, you take two different measurements and you draw an arc, and wherever the arc is, that's the location you confirm it. So what they did is they picked some landmarks that some of those were stumps, some of those were snags that are gone, and they measured distances, and they all ended up at a point, and that point was Roger's position, Roger's camera position for frame 352. Wow. Yep, he's got that one. Now, if you don't know what the smiley face is, there's two different lines there. Yeah. Uh, oh, cut some. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the smiley face is on frame 352. Um, I sent you that one picture there. Uh, yeah. Uh, 352 is pretty much what Patty is pointing to with her uh, left hand. It's that little stump, right, that she's pointing to it. Uh, basically, with her left arm pointing directly down, and there's a stump. And it looks like in the higher quality frames, you can see two eyes and a little smiley face. So what that does is that lines up perfectly in the very background tree to a, uh, a pull tree, pull cue is what they call it. Right? Yeah, it's called a pull cue. We call it just a snack. Yeah, a it's snack. just a snack because that thing has broken and gotten smaller over the years as it's rotted. But that, that's a perfect line. So what Mungs was using was that perfect line and, um, the smiley stump. and the smiley stump. And then we utilized uh, those measurements that were already made, which is that's one 
Yeah. And uh, what we're question, doing, boys, are, if I can. Go ahead. Uh, I, when you say Patterson's filming position, are you referring to his first stabilized position or when he shifted positions? Well, because you know, I do believe that when he lost temporary sight of her, he actually moved right up to the log you see in 352, was either standing beside correct. it or on top of it when he when he took the last bit of his footage before the film ran out. Correct, yeah. And we're talking about the first 10 seconds when okay. it's 352. So 352 is kind of what we, you know, it's kind of our focal point or our basis for the whole film. But, yes, we, we recreated that 10 seconds. I just uh, I had to stick it on a tripod and stick it above me, so it was a kind of a um, uh, – I couldn't see through the viewfinder. I was just kind of guessing that I was on the right track as we sent Kip off. Anyway, um, the uh, we did that for 10 – it's about 10 to 11 seconds, then he runs up to another position about halfway, and then he runs up closer to that log. And I think he actually steps almost over that log uh, for his final position. Now, that big log that you're talking about that's in 352, uh, I think we all, uh, between Daniel, Robert, um, and me, and who else, we all determined that that log is not there, that really long, thin, uh, predominant log that goes across the frame. It's not there anymore. Now, we, we were looking at maybe some ends where that could have been attached and where it broke off, but that's a pretty straight piece of wood. I imagine if that road was in existence too much longer after 67, somebody might have grabbed it just because it's a pretty straight piece And uh, anyway, but that, the, all the, the debris in front of 352, uh, that large log that's in the foreground of that, and then there's a log right behind the long straight log that goes across the frame. There's one that is perpendicular, and it's kind of going right towards the smiley face and towards Patty. And that's a very large uh, fur log that, uh, you know, it looked like it was pretty old in this one, and it, but it's still there. Um, mm. Not a, a lot has changed as far as the fur, because fur just lasts longer. Uh, all the alders that you see in the frame 352 have all disintegrated uh, or fallen over, and you can't see any of those. Those, are, those no longer can be reference points. But all these, these stumps that we're talking about, this log that's down in the front, in the very front, those are all fur. And uh, they just they don't decompose as quick as the softwoods do. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we were pushing past the time of one. I think it was about 3.15. We, uh, we got the film in the, in the camera and, and tried to recreate it with the 15 millimeter and the 25 millimeter. And I haven't done an in-depth analysis of either one of them yet. Uh, I'm still leaning towards the 15, but mm, I think it was quite a few years ago when um, Munns brought his book out, I, I kind of agreed with him that it could be a 20 millimeter. It's just somewhere in between, you know, that's a tough one. But well, uh, as we improve our sight lines, I think within three or four years, we'll be able to see a glimpse of some of those background trees, which we can't right now. But we can at least get markers on them next summer, like some uh, really bright, maybe laser or bright lights to do some frame references for the background trees. Um, you know, we learned a lot from this attempt at recreating the film of things that we need to do. And that would be one of them is just getting some light markers um, to give us some visual frame reference. Because I think if we get the right position where Roger Patterson is and we get those um, – frame markers and I think we'll be able to figure out which lens it is just by looking at it uh, since it's the same camera and the film really won't matter uh, next year our attempt this year wasn't very good just because it was fairly dark I was concerned we overexposed and I actually had them uh, underexposed at uh, a half a stop and we should have just left it the way it was but next year I've got some night speed film color negative that uh, we'll do another attempt at, which should pick up more detail uh, in the shadows and hopefully pick up these light markers that we put up. Well, right, you, and you, let me let me make something clear for our listeners who may not understand why it's so difficult to determine uh, the type of the size of the film that was actually used. Thomas, you told me before um, why did why don't we know the actual size, was it 15, 20, 25? Why don't we know that? 
you're talking about the film speed. Yeah, uh, the lens. millimeter camera. It's a Cine Kodak K100, so you use 60-millimeter film. It gives you a false impression of the film site. Can you look at Patterson's footage? Uh, you get an impression that the film site's kind of big. But if you look at the Jim McLaren 8-millimeter footage that was shot by John Green a few years later, everything looks, the film site generally looks smaller. And I can only go by the two times I was there, and that was 83 when you could still roughly recognize it because all the new trees were barely shoulder or head high compared to 2003 when you couldn't recognize it at all because it was all it were new 30-foot, 40-foot trees. There was The clearing's not a clearing anymore. It's a forest. So uh, I think it's, a, it's, it's all about visual perception. But the biggest problem with the film speed is Roger didn't know what he had the camera set at when he shot it. <laughs> because he didn't know anything about photography. He he rented the camera. All he do all he knew was how to load it, how to aim it, and how to point uh, how to push push the trigger, and that was it. Yeah, I think the film. Yeah, and there's speed, nothing uh, to reference we were, something as simple as that on. See, yeah. there's so many layers to this. Um, trying to recreate this actual film area because of those reasons, and you know, there's there's. You start adding in reason one, reason two, and then before you know it, you have, well, the whole bucket of worms. Well, well let, let these fellows, I think these fellows have done enough study. They probably have a far better idea than either of us have. What do you guys well, what, what, Yeah, what, what you're talking about is film speed. We, we were more concerned about the lens size. Which oh, is the lens more, of the camera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're talking about between the 15, the 20. And, oh, right, uh, right. Uh, Roger had no idea. Roger, yeah, okay. yeah. As a matter of fact, the camera Daniel Perez has is a different uh, Cine Kodak because it has a turret on the front with different lenses on it. Right. The one Roger right. had was the one that, like I've got. It's a single lens. It's attached right to the camera, and you have to unscrew it to put a different one on. And Roger yeah. had no idea. We think you think it was a 15X R, but who knows? Because he had yeah. no idea. He had, he had no clue. Yeah. That was the and they didn't realize the at the time to document it because, you know what I mean, they were thinking of the subject in the film, not well, what nobody, the and even, size was. Even when they went to view it at the L.D. Atley's house, realized, thought that 40 years from now, people were going to make an issue out of all these different things. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. No one thought yeah, the, it was the, important the, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, the lens size is really important, though. I mean, because that's that's how eventually you're going to extrapolate exactly how big Patty is. Right. Um, so you think it's 15 then? Well, I I tend to lean lean towards the 15 just because I okay. see this field of view and 352 that 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 I saw looking through Daniel's lens in a in 2017. He had the uh, the uh, viewfinder that went with the 15 and went with the 25. And the 25 mm-hmm. just looked too tight for mm-hmm. the amount of coverage that you see looking at it. Um, and and that, that that's not going to be determined by what we just did. That's going to take a couple of years or many years before we get good sight lines to really figure that out. I think, right. uh, you know, making okay. sure the exact same spot that he was at, as, as good as we know as far as other people's measurements, and um, and getting enough visual information on the sides of these frames to figure out which one it is, because there's a the visual difference definitely between the 15 and the 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the film speed, interesting enough with the film speed, I I don't have any problem with that because you have a whole complete real one. You have horses walking. It's pretty easy to run that film speed at the right speed to say, yeah, that looks right for a film or for a horse walking. You know, you know, you're, if you're off, if you're playing a 24, and it definitely was a 16 or an 18 frames per second that uh, he shot at. Now, we shot at 16 frames per second. The uh, film house that I had it processed at sent me a digital copy back that was at 24 frames. So right. what I had to do was slow that down, you know, roughly 40% or 30%, excuse me. All right. Yeah, 30 uh, another known fact, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of those cameras it was found that they, they reset the the dials on them 
uh, it may it, the camera shows like 24, 1867, et cetera, et cetera. But it, a lot of those cameras were filming at 18, even though there was no 18 on the dial. Gotcha. Yeah, even though they're yeah, they, 16. they changed they changed yeah. the speed, but they didn't change the dials <laughs> because no, it, it was outdoor photography yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it comes down to that kind of stuff. That variance between 18 to 16 isn't going to be minimal. that noticeable difference. Yeah. yeah, it's really minimal, and that's really not. I don't think it, as imperative to making uh, getting as much information out of this as we can as determining what the lens size is. So right. film speed, yeah, you're granted, you know, I think if you just compared it to how those horses walk at the beginning, it's kind of obvious, you know, it, it, if, it's, if it's played back at 18, it's probably close enough. But, yeah, yeah. That, so, anyway, the, that's our goal uh, is to keep improving that uh, visual uh, for frame 352 so we can start comparing these frame lines. I think that that's one of our continuing goals that we'll do next year. Every year we, we try to clear, you know, more and more trees so it's more walkable. And there's definitely some people that have come down um, with years past that have come down recently, and they're like, wow, it's, it's getting really nice down here. Uh, the trail's getting better. Um, it's getting more uh, presentable is, is a better word. Even though this last year we had um, more trees come down and really cover up Patty's initial sighting, which is in the creek, which was actually a really nice uh, exposed creek bottom. Uh, it was one of the bigger ones around. And uh, just this, we had a heavy winter two years ago yeah. that uh, eroded a lot of this uh, big bend uh, and, and brought down some pretty old growth uh, maples. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. There's a couple of maples. And there might even be maples that are in some of the initial frames of the film. That came down hard, hard. To yeah, there, there's just endless amounts of things that we can keep extrapolating from this film site, and have it's just one of the things. Flood? Have you guys ever Go had ahead. a flood down there like the one in '64 that kind of created that clearing in the first place? No, no. no. Yeah, '64, '55 was the first big flood, and then the Christmas of '64. We've never had the high water since then. Well, what's, what's happened, even at the place at Humble when I was working there, we have old bridges slowly emerging from the gravel. The river is working its way back down to the original channel, only to have ah. a flood again. Yeah. But the river, when it hits the bowling alley and it hits the first embankment and then it plays pinball and goes back and forth, over the two years we were getting the graph done in 2010 and 2011, the river, the creek, I should say, switched sides. So it's not unusual for that creek to bounce back and forth. And with it, it takes whatever it can. And it's notorious for the Hinden's X area to be a big open area that has a lot of organic material like roots and logs. That's what the river does. And since there's a turn there, that's where it deposits it. Yeah, I just wanted to jump jump uh, back to uh, last time we were up there working. Uh, Justin Sievers and uh, Michael Wayman was helping us out. Every, everybody's focused on frame 352. They're always look, focused at the, the uh, corridor, the you know, smiley stump, the leaning trees, the leaning stumps, the big tree in the background. But as towards the end of the frames, Roger moves, and he films the last section uh, of the escape corridor as Patty works, his, works her way over towards the bowling alley and then disappears. The film runs out, and the she event eventually disappears. So what we did, part of the project, was to try to find our landmarks that we know about already and measure the distances, again, using two points uh, with triangle and method, uh, just to, to get on paper the distances between the stumps that are seen in the corridor. And so in a way, we're trying to see if we can um, not recreate, but try to find the, the ending path Taddy took as to which stumps there were. So that's one of the projects we're trying to work on towards the end. And we're still trying to open it up a little bit. We're not trying to clear cut, you know, that's not right. We're trying to make it safe for us. For our, well, no, I'm no more eye poking. Because when we first went through that place, it was like being dropped in a Jurassic Park world and following game trail and leaning over so you don't hurt yourself and taking the path of least resistance, which were the game trails designed by bears and mountain lions and foxes. And we're a little taller than that. So we had to make our way in, and so at least now you don't have to worry too much about that. When we were remeasuring the section towards the end of the uh, the uh, 900-something frames, 
I had flashbacks to when we first started doing that. Uh, <laughs> you get tripped, get poked. Yeah. You, you fall in these root holes you never thought were there, but you couldn't see them. The ground's not flat. And uh, poor Mike, he's kind of up, up there. We talk about the old guys. He's up there right up above us. And he was having some difficult time navigating that area. And he kept looking back going, you guys went through here before. I go, this is exactly yeah. how it was. Still sections down there that are pretty thick, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. because we kind of overdo the one area where the corridor is, but we forget about everything else. And yeah. So the goal is to try to get some stuff that nobody did. I kind of wish that originally, like 50, what, 51 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, when they first started doing this stuff, they started picking some landmarks that were good and getting some good measurements in there, and maybe even put a north, exactly magnetic north on their map would have been sweet. Mm. But I know we're asking for a lot. Like you said earlier, who cared back there? I have this footage. Yeah. Game over. Right. But here we are yeah. 51 years later, you know, yeah. games yeah. beginning. Right. That, that is you one know of what, our... what makes me want to rip my hair out is when I see somebody talking about the Patterson-Gimlin film, and they're like, well, just – just go remake it in the same area. <laughs> they, they have no clue um, yeah. what that means and what you guys have done, you know, just to even get to where you're at now. It's, I'm sure well, it's, hundreds it's much of hours remote. of manpower. It was much more remote in 2003 and 1983 than it was in 67, and I imagine it's even more remote now because, as my understanding, the 12 and 13 doesn't even go all the way down to the bat boxes on the on the riverbank anymore. You, you got to stop about yep. a mile away and you got to hike down. Correct? That's correct. 12 and 13 H. The spur that goes down. Uh, we mm-hmm. stop at a berm, and then beyond that, it's on foot past a, a slide area where it's not getting any better. Then you get down to the uh, we call it the. Uh, Peter Byrne location where basically the big old campsite area that's still there, I guess. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, nature has a way of taking everything back. Yeah. And it, it's mm-hmm. like a cycle. It's like the, the river's going to cut it down at the bottom of the channel. It's going to be pretty. And then we'll have a, an El Nino year. And uh, it's going to be a lot of water. And it'll fill back up again. <laughs> and hopefully, mm-hmm. Thomas, you get down there uh, soon so you can see it. It's I'd love definitely that. a different. I'd love to. I was planning to go down there last year on the 50th anniversary, but yeah. I couldn't afford to go. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. Last year at the 50th anniversary, we had two different groups come down. Anyway, that next morning, uh, Daniel and, and um, um, Kip and I woke up, and the sun broke out. Um, and then Ian Carton comes yeah. driving up, who's one of the initial yeah, Bluff Creek Project uh, members. Yeah, he was he was he was with uh, Stephen as the first two that were arguing over where it was, how to do it, where to do it, why to do it, when to do yeah. it. Then I came along the cattle product, but anyhow, that's he was he was one of the first first members of the three. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. Anyway, he showed up and and we all uh, got geared up to go down, and a group of people started showing up, and we took them down to the site, and they the first group of people uh, you know got to experience Daniel and. And all of us down there. And then my my goal was to take a picture at one o'clock on the anniversary and make it back that Friday night to um, to Willow Creek uh, to start up at five or four. Forgot yeah. what time it was. But uh, I, I ended up not getting out of the film site. I didn't leave the film site till about one thirty, and then hiking back out and driving back in. I think I got there. Yeah, you were fifteen minutes late. So uh, I'm gonna jump in here. Yeah. So. I'm supposed to be a speaker, right? And I need Roddy to hold my hand so it's going to work. And he's late, like a few minutes late. I am, and not to the start, just what well, we said I was going to be there. I was yeah, yeah. Late to 30, being there 30 minutes early. Yeah. I was 15 minutes late to being there 30 minutes. So, early. so what we're relying on Roddy's expertise and his AV technology, and we're throwing everything together. And I just went to my car, grabbed a bunch of stuff, and threw it in a trash bag. And I'm using handheld props since that's my specialty, impromptu interpretation. But yeah, it was really nice because what what Rowdy pulled off with with um, with, with Daniel was awesome because uh, the people who who attended the uh, Willow Creek event, which was a Friday night, got yeah. a chance to see this. So Rowdy's putting this footage up, and I'm looking at her going, I think I recognize that guy. So there's a gentleman standing looking away from the camera, and then he turns around. It's Daniel Perez. Yeah. He says, Hey, uh, like, I'm. What about was- you guys? And so it was a nice cool. spoof. It was it was pretty cute. I think that's on our Bluff Creek project. Yeah, it was nice. Because uh, Daniel was, didn't go to the uh, conference uh, due to 
the initial uh, turbulence that started. Yeah, it's not going there. Yeah, it's not going there. Anyway, but it was fun. I was, I think I was the only person that was at the site and then got back at, yes. at, and made the presentation uh, just to show that you could do it, first of all. But uh, uh, that day, several people, a lot of people showed up uh, and got to experience Daniel down there the whole day uh, with, uh, I think we had at least three different groups that came at different times and uh, went to the site. Uh, but I think that day, too, we also had the most people ever. I think we had 16 people at one time at the site. Uh, wow. And if you, if you ever there, we have a uh, little Nalgene bottle that has a little notebook in there that people sign in when they get to the site. And um, we've had that up for like four or five years now. So. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So every time somebody goes down there, it's, it's kind of a, a nostalgic thing to open it up and look at who's been there. And we've had definitely more people go down there since we've made the site more public with yeah. our Bluff, Bluff Creek Project dot com or uh, blog and our Facebook and Stephen and Robert you know doing different shows we definitely had more people go down there and that that was the original goal uh, I think after we discovered the site was to make it accessible to the public because it's a uh, it's a great place to go it really gets you out in nature it's not for the faint of heart but right. uh, if you're a diehard Bigfoot fan, and and you wanna you wanna go to the mecca spot, um, you know you, it's, it should be a safe spot, not that you should have a you know a a, a, a tram down to it or anything like that. You know you've got to earn your wings to get to it, so it, it makes it more special. But it, mostly just making it safe, you know, accessible uh, and safe, and that's kind of what we've been trying to do uh, over the years. And, you know, there's, like I said, there's so many more things to learn. What Robert was talking about, we, we started talking about about three years ago was the last frames of the Patterson Gimlin film. And there's an array of two stumps that you see. And we definitely discovered, we know where those two stumps are and, and just kind of trying to get that last few frames. And I, I think we're pretty close on Patty's path. Um, as far as how she walked, or the initial part, I think it's a little vague, but I think from 352 on, yeah, it's a pretty good line. And and yeah, it's a fun it's a fun trip. Just to let people know, it's not an easy trip. Uh, you got to give yourself an entire day. Uh, don't think you're gonna go out there uh, starting at noon and get back before dark. It's not gonna right. happen. No. <laughs> no. Now, do you guys yeah, take people out part- there? regularly if they contact you or wh- how are you doing that well yeah we're, we're not doing it for money oh people look at us like we're crazy we get people you, you can make money out this it's almost like yeah i felt as a as a squatcher in the closet that this is part of the history that belongs to everybody who who's mm-hmm. into the phenomenon mm-hmm. if you don't believe in the fatterson film something was filmed there it was filmed at a location it's a historic area and i think everybody needs to know where it is and everybody should be able to get there. But and we, like Roddy mentioned, we don't need tramways or gondola or Tyrolians right. to get down there. But once there, it's a place that it's like, it's like going back in time. It's like a battlefield, so to mm. speak. You know, it's, it's like to be there. When we get there is sometimes right now we talk about this. We're kind of mixed emotions about it because we want to share this because it's important. But every time we unearth a stump, or remove some vegetation, or I should say sticks away from an area that opens it to the elements. Or now people can go sit on a stump or stand on a stump or climb over things. Every time we humans get into an area, we kind of love it to death. Like working for the parks for years is if people want to see the tree you can drive through, they want to see which is the tallest tree in the world. They want to touch it, smell it, feel it. But every time their presence is there, there's an impact. There's, there's something happens. So the more people who come to the film site, the more exposure it is to foot traffic, the more that moss-covered logs get poked at or stepped on or sat on for better. So I want to encourage people who go down to this film site, which it's yours, you should go to, you should see it, be part of history. Um, You heard the term, leave nothing but footprints and just take photographs, but be careful where you walk. Try not to walk on the artifacts, stumps and the logs. Try to pick the sand. Try not to pull stuff and take things and destroy it because it's there and it has to last for the rest of our generations to see this. Mm. There is a time when nature's going to take it back. And mm. this is now you can GPS it if the satellites are right or get close enough. Don't use Google, it's wrong. But anyhow, you get, you get close <laughs> enough to it, 
you can go back to it again and enjoy it for what it is, but it's a resource for the squatchers alike to enjoy. But I just ask, please be careful where you walk. Try not to trash the place. We purposely don't have campfires down there. We don't want yeah. them there at the site. There's a fire ring down at, at the bottom where the Peter Burns stuff is. So whoever goes up there, be nice to the place. Signing in, let us know you're there. If you want to leave your email address, if you have any information, we try to get back to you. And, yeah, we are a resource. I mean, we we have a passion for the place. You know, we our goal was to find it, prove it's here, and then pass it on to other people to do all these surveying stuff and, and whatever. But here we are getting involved in Phase 2 and Phase 3 and Phase 4 and right. Phase 5. And having the support from, you know, listeners and people interested in subject matter is great. Because right now I have this passion to love to share it. So if people are interested in seeing it and listening to me bore you to death with the stories of how we stumbled upon it, aimlessly lost in the forest that we found it, uh, sure. <laughs> I was just wondering, fellas, in the big tree, did you happen to find a little piece of metal nailed to the back side of it, sort of roundish shape? I haven't seen that. Okay, I, I nailed a, a piece of metal to it in 1983 just to mark the tree to make sure it was the right tree to get back to. I think it was one of Rennie's old tobacco tins. I don't know, but I don't even know if it would still be there. I never checked in 2003, but if it's still there, I put it there. <laughs> hey, about what height did you put it there? Oh, about head height. I'm five foot eight. I just reached up and nailed it to the tree. It was sort of a... This is the tree, so I would remember it in future trips. <laughs> wow. But it was only a small little rusty uh, uh, carpenter nail, and who knows if it's still there or not. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Well, it sounds like you guys have really put a lot of work into that, and um, I, for one, am grateful for it. You know, I know a lot of folks who are very grateful for what you do. Um, now, when... I, guess I think the next what you guys is, have done is outstanding. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the next thing is try to you know pinpoint for sure um, about the cap. The cap size is that right? The lens cap. Okay. Well, the, the lens. That, yeah, yeah. The lens size. That's that's really uh, pertinent to figuring out how tall the creature is. Um, okay. You know, okay. Uh, If you can do that, you can do an an actual remake with somebody knowing their exact height and weight and so forth and do a a very true comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be exciting. The the initial frames of each of the takes I did with uh, Kip Morrell, Kip Morrell played Patty, and Kip was six foot two. And we, he was already in black clothing, so I had him put a towel across his shoulder so we could just see him. Uh, next year, that's one of the things we're going to do. Whoever our subject is, we're going to have them in an all-white jumpsuit. So it stands out in the dark background. As, and when you guys look and see the belt that we try to recreate, you can see it's super dark, so we need that contrast. But, yeah, we can do a little bit of that right now, doing that comparison. Uh, I haven't sat down and really compared it tight tightly yet um but yeah there's a lot of work to be done down there and robert and i will take a you know a few reporters down there a year because it's starting to make the rounds as far as tourism and stuff like that so uh we have a good time doing that and of course we have our usually the first weekend after the fourth of july we have uh, a camp out some people stay the whole week and we do a couple excursions down there we try to also do uh the Patterson Gimlin route from their campsite up. Um, we, I yeah. didn't do it this year, but Robert likes to lead that. Uh, that's a fun one. Just taking a trip up this very remote creek, a little over three miles. Yeah, yeah as it winds. And uh, you know, we recently did a drone video uh, that's on the Patterson, or excuse me, on the Bluff Creek uh, project site uh, on our Facebook site. We uh, we have the um, drone footage that shows you that route. And really, how far and how remote it was um, wow. that day. Well, the road is totally gone now. The one that was along the creek bank. I would say, yeah, it's totally. Uh, you can see some 
Um, the remnants of it in different spots where it didn't get as much uh, landslides coming down or the creek wasn't mm-hmm. quite as close to it. Um, but, yeah, you just walked down there and walked, you know, several miles. You would never know that there was ever a road there. No. Mm-hmm. You see some, some slides and, and on the edge of the creek uh, where the, it's washed away, you can see some some compaction from, uh, you know, them making these roads. Yeah, I see that a little bit. There's a couple spots just which you start out there at, at, at the 12 and 13 bridge pretty much, and you walk it up, and you can see where the river meanders back and forth. And there's sometimes this where it's, it's always deeper on the inside turns, but there's a few turns that's still left in place from 64 high water, the upper sandbars you see from place to place. There's one about a half mile in, uh, debating whether that's where Roger and, and Bob camped out or set up their trailer. Bob uh, Watson wow. talks about it. It's that uh, location. But it's kind of neat to see those, and on some of those high terraces, there's still trees, cut logs with pathways through that, up to higher terraces, and then you find cables, and then you can imagine selective logging going through where they cut a, a probably took the log about, I don't know, maybe two and a half, three foot off, off the surface at the time. Now you have these stumps, basically, they're like nine feet tall, because the uh, soil has eroded back to its normal positions, yeah, exposing cool. those. So there's a bit of history along the way, and even in some of the prior footage that Roger and Bob had taken, right before you get to, uh, I guess, right before you get to the, the Peter Byrne location on the left-hand side, you could still see those slided canyon walls where uh, they, they eroded in landslides that happened back then. You can see, see, see some of the scars on those walls, which are kind of nice. Like watching the film and trying to patch up and match the positions is entertaining, to say the least. Mm-hmm. But every time Roger, you know, Roger A, Roger yeah. Rowdy, and I go down there, it's like like a new discovery. Like the last one we talked about is we were trying to decide whether where the old log that, that extends out in uh, 352. The debate was, is there a, there's a log that's covered with moss that's broken that's off to the right in some great pile. And the question is, is that the same log? Well, that's where we were climbing through and trying to take measurements and check angles. That's when Roddy noticed that one little, little edge of the branch sticking up on this rotting log. That's in, um, perfect line. Yeah. Perfect line. that Daniel Perez had in his newsletter. You can see my, my, my good side to the back of my head and shot pointing to it. But right there, I mean, Roddy's, I think this is it. So Roddy should get credit for that discovery yeah. of that branch there. And I think like the importance of that is just establishing that we're on the right line uh, for frame 352 um, and, and trying to get this size comparison one day. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely a chain site, and, and hopefully people get down there uh, and they can get a hold of us through Bluff Creek Project, uh, message us. It's either Jamie or I or Stephen will answer it. Um, Robert's just now starting to get into Facebook and stuff, but uh, we like to keep him free from that, um, that hey, drama that, that gets yeah. people sucked yeah. in. I have a phone now. I have a, I have a, I have a phone. <laughs> just for general information, fellas, the Forest Service usually closes that whole area off and most of the year. When is it open? That's a good question. It varies. It, see, the reason it's closed is because the port order for cedars, they're dying out because of a virus that attacks them. A fungus, thank you. And it's waterborne. And so in the wet season, it gets, it gets moved around. So when they close the gates, they're trying to reduce it for that reason. And sometimes um, around July 4th, sometimes about halfway through June, it depends on the winters. And then sometimes they say they close it by the 1st of October, but that all varies whether it's dry or not. They have a written policy. And they try to adhere to that, but you also have hunting season in the fall that interferes with the written policy. So you kind of, they kind of, kind of work it through and try to keep. When it rains a lot, they close. If it's not raining a lot, you even let it stay open. But yeah, it's gone down from open year round to like four months, five months of being open. Yeah, yeah, it's a limited closed. window down there, and uh, we don't encourage people to try to go out there any time after the anniversary. Now, we've been lucky two years ago, it closed before the anniversary. The year before that, it was still open. It kind of follows the hunting season, which varies a little bit. I don't think they shut the gates until uh, the week after hunting season, just so they make sure they don't lock any, ga- uh, any hunters in there. Yeah, not Sasquatch hunters, deer hunters. Deer hunters. 
even though they, I think they've been locked some Sasquatch uh, yeah, people in there one year. But well, they actually ripped the gate off again, I heard. Yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah. So um, it, it's definitely a limited window, and that's part of the magic of this location. Uh, it is untouched by humans for eight uh, up to nine months, sometimes uh, out of the year, uh, that uh, nobody's down there. And that pretty much led Amazing. to why we could the Game Camera Project, which you guys know about, too, which we talked about, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, people did quite a bit of information on what kind of animals are down there. And lithium batteries are given our cameras year-round use uh, before we have to change the batteries. And uh, it's been a pretty prolific um, uh, camera project the past seven years now. Yeah, 2012, yeah. basically it's when Rodney first installed the first cameras. Yeah. And that stemmed from just uh, Jamie having cameras and uh, 2012 uh, when we had the big blowout. The big blowout. We had everybody down there, Bill Munn, July. Uh, you know, just all kinds of people from the Bigfoot world to go down there and I guess it was to uh, sanctify the, the site and have everybody go, yeah, this is it. And, and you know, show them what we had found and uh, Daniel Prince, all of them. But that uh, that night, uh, one of those nights, Bart and a group of us went up to Onion Mountain, and Bart and I had a um, uh, a sound, uh, a, a call, as we were getting out of the truck. And that led to not much happening that night, just what we heard. But that following week, I brought cameras out and put it up on a trail um, that Jamie had just got some cameras, and I was like, let's put, put these up here on this trail and see what's up here. And we got a lot of great air footage, and that kind of stemmed the, the camera project. Jamie's like, just put these cameras down at the site and keep them going, you know, and, and kind of put it out as a memorial. But in turn, you know, we, we found lots of good stuff, lots of bears, you know, obviously the uh, Humboldt Martin, um, which is now. Right, that was here. awesome. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because this is for the record. Uh, uh, Jamie and I always had discussions whether to put the cameras on an angle, whether to put them flat, put them high, put them low. Well, just for the record, it was my camera that I installed, well, group's camera, that I put on that one sandbar near the Rocky Plus on an angle that captured the Humble Martin, just for the record. The first one, yeah. yeah. And it goes on. <laughs> wow. Yeah, our camera's actually uh, the $10 million Bigfoot bounty. Um I, I led that expedition out here and, and kind of set that up, and they did the route up to Patterson-Gimlin uh, to the site. They actually didn't make it to the site. But no, they thought they did. But they, they never saw any of our cameras, but our cameras got them, which was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, walk right by. I researchers walking right by the camera that wasn't camo and not even seeing it. As a matter of fact, the uh, right. one of the groups – one of the prizes was a map that we had drawn. They bluffed, I mean, the, the camera, excuse the me, map. the map of the film site as a bonus for winning another leg segment of it. So on that was the GPS location, so on three different locations on that map. And they still didn't find it. But anyway, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I really appreciate you guys coming on to the show to, tonight. Wow, what a show. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there still very interested in in this film and uh, the history of it and where where you might just be able to take this in regards to, you know, having a an, an very close measurement to the subject in that film. And I think that um, that could be very important. So, you know, I want to thank you guys for all your hard work, and we will definitely have you back on down the road, you know, when you're doing some more work. If you guys want to check out their um, Facebook page It's Bluff Creek Project Make sure you go on there and check out um, You have that film posted now Right? The the new digital yeah, film do. That you were yeah. talking about Yeah I do and I, like I said It's it's pretty dark um, It gives you a little perspective I, I freeze the frames on each of our takes So you can get a uh, Kind of a visual of, of And compare it to the, the original film too and, and if you look through our Facebook page, you'll see a, a 4K version of it, too, that I did with a, a Luminex um, digital camera. And uh, it, it, it shows a little bit better, and I think you can, you, can, you can see it a little bit better. I think the nostalgia 
just kind of came out wanting to recreate the film since we had a kind of a pathway now and we weren't so far away from the bank so we could recreate Roger's path. But uh, the main goal of that was really to just to start seeing what these frames are and see which lens size was used. And like I said, it might take a couple of years before that that's really verified as we improve our view. And, uh, but yeah, it's always something to do. I wish we had more time down there. Uh, we got such a limited window. Uh, we, we, we try to find time and, and, uh, spend the money and, and buy the gas and go out there and, and do it. And anybody that wants to go out there, um, you know, it is a long ways out. It's an adventure all around. So, uh, it's not just that site. Uh, the Bluff Creek region is, is incredible. Uh, you can spend weeks out there and, and not see all of it and, or explore all of it. And you'll definitely see, uh, you know, why there's a possibility that something like this may exist. There's, yeah. there's a remote this. Yeah, Six Rivers National Forest is, I would say, a million acres, yeah. counting them. It extends oh. into southern Oregon all the way to Mendocino. It's kind of a narrow strip of land, but it's pretty steep terrain. And it's very underused, not to tell everybody to go there, but it's very underused, which means I've driven many times. I got took the reporter the other day, and he goes, where, where's, where, where are the people? I go, what people? <laughs> it's just like, uh-huh. see people everywhere. I go, that's not the case here. That's not what usually happens. Yeah. So he was a little surprised. He expected more people. We saw one car over that two-day thing. Yeah. And he was, like, he was blown away by that. Thanks, thanks for having us, Julie. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating what you guys are doing, and uh, I thank you for coming on the show. And, Thomas, thank you. Thank for... you, Julie. It was a pleasure talking to you, fellas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now next yeah. month, Thomas and I will be back for another exciting show, show uh, for you. Uh, we're we're going to have a little bit of a different twist to our next month's show. We've been talking a lot about patty film and and bluff creek um so i think we're going to switch it up just a little bit and uh i think might have something to do with the old tom slick expedition so if you're interested in some more information on that make sure you join us and again guys thanks so much for for being on the show and for another episode of monster x radio on the shoulders of giants talking old timers with thomas This is your host, Julie Wrench. Until we meet again, keep it squatchy. Radio.